Hi and welcome to the Nomad Sailing Podcast. Nomad Sailing are a small family-run sailing school, uh, the best obviously on the south coast of the UK. Uh, The team consisting of myself, Lou, the chief instructor, my brother Jim, the school principal, and Joe, our ops manager, will be bringing you all things sailing and nautical over the coming weeks and months. So please subscribe and share and get in touch if you have a topic you'd like us to cover. And contact us at www.nomadsailing.co.uk. And please enjoy. Welcome to another podcast, and this one is um, about some experiences of competitors or participants. We'll find out what they like to call themselves during the Clip Around the World race. So I've got a group of four competitors, participants here, um, who are going to tell you about their experiences. Maybe um, I'll ask them to introduce themselves and maybe the year they did it and the boat you were on. Um, let's go from where I see you on my interview screen here, David. Yeah, I'm Dave Brummett, did the 1718 race, um, allocated to the Greenings team because of what happened to the Greenings boat, which will no doubt come out in the course of the interview. Moved to, to Team Liverpool and uh, did leg five for that race, which is Australia up to China, early beach, ultimately up to Qingdao. Now I've got Greenings boat written down now. We'll find out. Thanks for that. Uh, Davina, I see on the bottom right of my screen. Hi. Hi. So um, I'm Davina Watson, and I did two lots of um, the race. So I did um, 15-16 race, and I did leg seven and eight. Um, so that is starting in Seattle and then that leg finished in New York and then did New York back home. And then um, I basically got FOMO at the thought of uh, Lizzie going off again on the following race. So copied her and signed up again. And I did the um, leg four and that was on a boat called Visit Seattle. My first one was on a boat called I Call Cole. Well, Lizzie's here as well. One of the group that you did some legs with, Lizzie. Yep. Hi. Okay, I'm Lizzie Tricks, and I did the first race at 15:16 on Eichel Coal. Um, I did so that was North Pacific from so from China over to uh, Seattle, then Seattle round to New York, and then I managed to sort of wangle my way on for the very last bit back from um, Den Helder back to London, so I could do the Royal Wave down the Thames. And then I did go back again, the 1718 race, and that was originally on Greenings, but obviously, as we'll find out, no doubt, um, I then got reassigned to, well, actually, I requested to go and join Seattle um, so I could go and hook up with Davina again. Right, and welcome, Ian. Hey, uh, I'm Ian. Um, uh, I did the 1718 uh, race like, uh, like Dave and didn't, do any others like uh, Lizzie and Davina. Uh, I requested and was chosen to be on the mighty and victorious GB. And but I, I served uh, the, um, the, on the prestigious leg one, which was from the start to uh, Punta del Este. Where was the start port for that year? Uh, in Liverpool. Great. Fantastic. What you had in common, wasn't it? That is that year, 1718, was the one thing you have in common that you all did yes. your training that year? Yeah, you'll come to. What is this race about? I, I, I could describe it. In fact, I, to try and get a bit more info, I read um, Brendan Hall's book quite quickly last weekend. <laughs> and respect to you guys, I, you know, I, I knew it was hard, but I didn't know quite how hard some of some of it must have been. But what what is the race about, Lizzie? You were going to just give us a sort of summary of. 
Um, well, basically, no yeah, it's it's the only um, amateur yacht race that circumnavigates the globe, and it consists um, of I can't remember the proper number of boats now, guys. Help me out here. I've had a mental blank, seeing as we lost. It was it was twelve, oh, now eleven. It, now it was eleven, and yeah, and it consists of um, a variety of crew from whole different selection of different sort of backgrounds and yeah and it's just we we probably are participants but we're very competitive with each other especially against Ian mm. and that competitive bit I mean you were on different boats so you yeah you probably came back with stories about how those boats were competitive as a team or not it varies so much I think yeah. depending and and just even just between the legs the, the whole atmosphere on a boat can change and the competitiveness can, can change it really does depend on on the makeup of the crew at the time it's a good point and I think I think the important thing to note is whilst we're all on different in on different yachts um as Lizzie said the crew within a yacht changes within a leg um, so actually, my you know the, the GB crew that sailed in in uh, in legs after mine would have been completely different, and they would may, may have had a very different mentality towards the race as well. Yeah, well, that's a different thing to adapt to, isn't it? Because yeah. there are some some crew who stay for the whole circumnavigation. Yeah, the round the worlders. Round the worlders. Yeah. Yeah. You referred to something yeah. that was core crew, but I guess that was just a, and that never appealed to any of you, or was it was it something outside of a budget? I think it was budget and time. I don't know about everybody else. It's um, it's a you know it's a big commitment to do the whole round the world. And I mean I don't know about I mean speaking for myself, I used to actually feel quite envious because once you get into the whole racing scene and the stopovers and everything, you kind of envy them going on. Going, oh God, I wish I was staying on. Especially if you've had a really really good leg and you're like, oh, I really want to stay on. Um, but then actually I've, I've had friends who are around the world as on the 15, 16 race and they actually took two legs off because they were just so shattered and actually went yeah. traveling over ground um, and doing some other stuff and then rejoined the boats later on. All right. Thanks very much. So it's, a, it's quite a big thing to take on as it will be revealed when you start to tell us about the, the race itself. But what I'm just going to maybe ask, I'll probably ask all of you about your motivation for, for joining. It's probably a big decision to make. And I guess as, as the training unfolds, you might have decided whether or not it was the right decision to make. Where, where did you come from uh, deciding where to do it, David? Well, I was working in Essex at the time, living up north in Yorkshire, and I was commuting by train down on a Monday morning, back on a Friday afternoon. And it's quite a wonderful bit of marketing that Clipper do, where they have the poster in every railway station that you stop. Yeah. Somebody half in the work suit, half in a set of Fowleys. I saw a poster. Next thing I knew, I was at a boat show being interviewed, um, see, you know, finding out a little bit more about it. And then the next thing I knew, I was in Australia. And it's just part of my leg. Wow. And you, had you sailed before? I, I hadn't. I, I'd done little bits, of, little bits as a kid with the, the Cubs and the Scouts, but nothing for years at all. And nothing you found out about it as you looked into it more put you off or, or got you more interested? I think I got more and more enthusiastic about doing it. I, th I think at the time, after doing sort of a lot of travelling with work, a lot of monotonous days at a desk, you see you'd see a poster like that and you think, ah, I'll, I'll have a little bit of a break, I'll, I'll have a go at that. I had a conversation with my dad and my dad said, well, 
if if you want an experience of different types of sailing, do do the latitudes. I did look at the the, the ups and the downs yeah. of latitudes, and I thought well, it seems quite nice to have a little bit of a, a trip to the other side of the world at the same time. Yeah, so you chose leg five. Yeah, remind us which which that leg was. So, so that's Early Beach, Sanya, and then Sanya to Qingdao. So. Australia, Southern China, Southern China, Northern China. Oh, right, yeah. That's quite a difficult, notorious leg, isn't it, going up against mm. prevailing winds? Yeah, you, you get the, the, the different winds with the latitudes. You also get doldrums. You also get an equator crossing in there. Um, mm. Theoretically, there's, there's probably a bit more to do around choices of navigation, um, because there's a bunch of islands in, in between Australia and southern China. So, yeah, it, it, interesting as a first leg, probably quite good advice. Probably now, looking back, would have liked a, an ocean crossing in there, but but I, I think in terms of sort of piquing my interest and getting me into it, it were, were, were definitely a, a good choice of leg. New, new country and very different parts, I think, of a new country. So, yeah. Yes, yeah, so there's more to it, I suppose, choosing to do it than just being on a boat for however long. There's um, where you go as well, isn't there? How about you, Davina? What what brought it to your attention or made you decide to do it? Um, so I I actually used to live in um, South Sea, and sort of old Portsmouth, and I was in the middle of doing my anaesthetic exams, and I was it was a nice day, and I was revising outside and looking out I had a um, sort of balcony that looked out over the water which was very nice and I saw these boats go out and thought what is that all about so googled it and kind of I was sort of at that point in life I was like I just need to learn something new I need to get a new skill and just learn something different then went to the start of the race so I signed up very late I went to the start of the 1516 race and right. looked into and just sort of asked about it and the next thing I know I'm signed up to very quick succession training yeah. weeks and then next thing flying out to Seattle to join them all so it all happened very quickly for me because the race had already left pretty much so when yeah, I did all my you, training so I missed out on the whole sort of um, introductory bit of it all. So you missed out on some training but we're given a... Uh, uh, no I'm, I got all the training in right. I just didn't ever have the kind of um, crew allocation or that sort of team building thing so when I flew out to Seattle I, I didn't know anybody I think I'd met Lizzie for we'd been out for lunch with a few people and that was about it so I didn't really know anyone so I kind of went into it a very sort of last minute. Meeting um, Lizzie didn't put you off. <laughs> We pick it up straight away. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, so then I... Have you sailed before? you looked out? Uh, no, never sailed before. Never time. done a day of sailing in my life. So it's all brand oh. new. I just needed something new to learn. Amazing. Ian, where, where were you when you saw it or decided to do it? When I first started, when I actually left university, I first started work, one of the guys I used to work with did the BT around the world um race and he did the whole thing he was on nuclear electric and and i was just absolutely amazed and i was we were lucky enough as well we used to sponsor a guy called pete goss people remember yeah. him um as being a, an absolute superstar sailor and it, it just i always wanted to do it and i kind of got into work and career and life and stuff and every year you know you go by and you kind of think I'm going to I've put it off for that job. I've put it off for that life thing. I've put it off for... So I think very similar to Davina, I got to a point where I think I just needed to do something different. 
I'd actually, it was in between jobs, uh, a bit like Dave, I think I'd seen a poster. I thought, uh, right, I'm signing up for this. Uh, signed uh, up and the rest is, as they say, is history. Cool, thanks. Lizzie, you were kind of the, you're kind of the veteran of it in terms of leg numbers. Well, you know, a bit, not much. You wouldn't tell from my sailing skills. <laughs> um, no, I'd been thinking about sailing for a while, then had this opportunity where I had time on my hand, so to speak. And I was just stood in the tube and saw one of the infamous posters, rang the number, and the next thing it's like, oh, we think you'd be a perfect fit. Have you got your checkbook? Okay, there you go, signed up. Great campaign, that then. Oh, it's, brilliant. it's a really clever campaign. And with none of your family mind, did you go in? Um, or, for or me, friends. I've got two children. Um, my my son, he's he's um, a sailor anyway, so he was really cool about it. My daughter was a little bit more. I had to do a sell because she was only I think was she about nine at the time. She was kind of okay, not that thrilled, but I managed to sell it quite well. And my mother was just like, "Oh my god, you're wasting your money!" But hey ho, did it anyway. I didn't think it was dangerous. Is it, you know, it I, I didn't of... tell them that bit. I don't know about anyone else. I kept all that quiet. I mean, to me. Uh, I would always think sailing around the world's dangerous. However, you, however you do it, there's some innate dangers there, and they're they're quite competitive boats, as we'll see. But I think I think, I think everything is in life is you know dangerous, Jim, isn't it? I mean, I think you can you can you know as people say, you can you can jump on a bike and you know take the wrong turn and wallop. So I think um, whilst there are mm -hmm. some dangers involved, and of course. Um, many of us um, have experienced the the downside to to sailing. It's like anything, um, and you've got to you've got to take that into, into account. Sure. So then, um, the training began, and I guess that's what, like I said earlier, what links you all is that you participate in the training down here in Gosport. Any of you like to say a little bit about that? Some um, hardest part of training, most exhilarating part, because you're going for. None of you had been on a on a sixty five foot seventy foot boat and moved sails around, which must have weighed what sixty kilos plus. Ridiculous amounts of weight. I, I do you know, the funny thing is, we each I'm sure have all had very different experiences within training. Because again, you know, actually, uh, I don't think I met any of the guys um, yeah. on the call during training. Uh, and obviously, and so I think we've all had very different experiences. And a lot of that isn't just down to Clipper, but you you get some you know brilliant. Um, instructors so you know I remember yeah my most memorable moment I think from training it was actually my my level one so I, I'd done a little like, like the rest I've done a little bit of sailing in my younger days not, not a huge amount and um, we were on a on one of the training yachts and a, a four seven uh, was coming in over the channel and the guy we were training with um, I'm not going to name his name uh, who, who's a brilliant guy he said right uh, we're going to go out and on uh, on our level one, we weren't meant to do this, but he literally took um, took us out. There were four of us on each watch, and we did our first level seven, uh, four, seven, four, eight. All I remember was hanging on to the the side of the uh, of the yacht because uh, those things heal, as uh, you know. And uh, thinking, uh, I'm not going to live through the night. Uh, and what a wonderful experience it was! It was brilliant, and I, I just right, give me more of that. I'm having it. Right. Um, so that's my memorable thing. That's, that's what we going. Yeah. Yeah. Also thinking that there could be sustained amounts of this. You know, force eight, force seven, force eight isn't unusual. No, it's not. It, but when you first when you first do it, 
it, it feels like hell, right? And then you kind of go, oh, yeah, that was fine. N next one. Um, and I know, you know, some some of the guys, I know Davina and, and Lizzie, who've who've hit some proper, you know, proper oceans. You know, you, we've all hit more, way more than that. But when you first do it and you've not really experienced that before, I mean, that's that's huge. Like it's, it's exhilarating, but it kind of gets you going a bit. Did any of you find that the training was starting to give you reassurance and confidence for what lay ahead? Level four training, to be honest, where you then you know your crew by then and you know your skipper. And so you actually and they do try and make it as realistic as they can before. That, I mean, level the, the first week of training. God, I was clueless. I really, I look back and think, makes sense. wow, I was properly clueless. Second, the second week of training, I hated it. I think I just cried the whole time and thought every skipper under the summer is a shite. Right. And um, and level three, I can't actually remember. But the, the third, the fourth training, I actually remember enjoying it because it was with people from who were going to be actually on my team. Right. So something happens then in training between um, what you call level three and level four. Is that when allocation of of crew or participants yeah. to their boats. Yeah. And what I read about in the book, it's a it's the reading out of a list of names. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> yes. And you don't, you don't know. Although Ian, you said you you wanted to be on GB. Was it was it a coincidence that you got that, or you managed to do some? No, I, I, you can request. I mean, there's right. there's there's obviously. I mean, I think the way Clipper do it is they try and as you go through training, right? They they're looking to try and equalize as best they can. Uh, the crews and if you make a specific request um and there was some of the guys that um that we we all now um sail with they were also kind of plumbing for gb and i, I was the lucky one um they may say they were lucky because they managed to get on greenings but i'm not so sure <laughs> yeah i think that, that that's probably important to recognize with the crew allocation they do try and spread the people that are useful in everyday life across the so the likes of doctors or engineers, they make sure that they try and spread those people across the boat. So at any one time or on any leg, there are people with, with those sort of real life skills, which would translate to the sort of racing. And that selection, was there a relief when you weren't selected with certain people? Or I, I was lucky. I got, I got both my unofficial requests for both, for both boats each time. You know, and it's just been a bonus. I've got to know more people from, you know, from the, the slightly, slightly more inferior boats like the GB team, really. You'll find this a common theme, Jim. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I guess as well as asking to be on GB, I, I had done a lot of training with um, you know, my skipper, Andy, Andy Burns. He was fantastic, I have to say. I mean, he was a brilliant, brilliant uh, training skipper and he was lucky enough to be skippering um, GB but I, I'd, I'd also asked to be with him I mean that was one of my requests because you know he really got the best out of his crew um, you know he he, um, he was very competitive very competitive so yeah I I, I like Lizzie and I, I think I was I was lucky because I landed with both a, a bunch of great teammates and a skipper who I respected a lot right so I've got a couple of other little um, questions about the training bit because these have come from the group of us at Nomad who are interested. One was, um, do you know how many people, have, if many people, drop out from training either because they feel they can't do it or because they're told? I, I don't know what it is as a proportion. I don't know what it is by way of... But I noticed quite a few that, that, that didn't go on after a while. On, on level one, it's don't hurt yourself on a boat. The more, more you learn and the more you learn about how 
difficult the experience might be, the more and more people don't take it any further. There's also an awful lot of people that sort of suffer with seasick, suffer with life on the boat, and 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 they think, oh well, that's not not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know a few people that that sort of happened. So, so it's probably a healthy dropout. Um, at I guess what do you call it? Phase four, level four training. Level four. You're training with your skipper. And is it that point that the skipper's making decisions about what you can take or not take with you? It varies from skipper to skipper, doesn't it? I mean, some are really quite strict about the weight or some are, they'll say a weight, but aren't quite so strict. If that's yeah, talking about personal you are, baggage. You are yeah. given a limit, a suggested payload that you're allowed to take with yeah. you. I think, I think a lot of it comes down to that term that you use with uh, your participants or competitors. And I think, yeah. you know, Andy, I don't know how the others operated, but Andy, you know, he, when we met together as a team for the first time, you know, he, he set out a process whereby we decided whether we were going to be competitors or we were just going to be participants. And, you know, he, he kind of laid it out to us. If you, if you want to compete, then you, you, you will be restricted to what you can bring. You will do certain things and you have to buy into that. It's, it's your contract with the rest of your teammates. And, and that's how we, that's how we did it. It made me smile when I was re- reading Brendan's whole book, um, Team Spirit. The crew would ask to bring stuff and he would, he would respond with the question, does it make the boat go faster? <laughs> and they couldn't bring it. But then, of course, there's things you could bring that would keep your morale up. Which, yeah, which then make you work harder. Work faster and harder. I think he had an interesting stat that one kilo of extra weight meant that you had to force aside 282 tonnes of extra water during the circumnavigation he doesn't sound like a fun skipper (laughs) (laughs) quite well so did you just before we get on to the racing i know we could talk for quite a while on this special special items that you took that you think thought you couldn't be without for these legs or there's a lot of items that you could advise that are essential items having done it which i wish taken Such and i'll say if you did a hot leg a usb fan is worth its weight in gold yeah. um i mean the temperatures would get ridiculous i mean down below and a usb fan was definitely um yes some people, item. some people didn't then <laughs> so do you have fan envy well oh, major, major fan envy but I think as well with with I call those World of Inner, they'd when they first set the boat up, they put fans in, but they rusted, I think, before they'd even mm. finished the first leg. Wow. So that was a complete waste of time, you know. And then I I never thought about it after that. It was like music, music and cigarettes, I would imagine. Were very fun. very few people smoked actually. There was a couple, but very few people smoked. Hard to do so as well, actually. Yeah. Music essential, absolutely. But but yeah. second time second time, actually, my big thing was a pillow. I, I always bought a pillow. So when I got to China, I bought a pillow because just having a pillow makes all the difference for me sleeping. Everyone laughed at us on Seattle because um, Lizzie and I had this thing that we had to change into pajamas. Yeah. Like, keep up standard. <laughs> you had to get out of your horrible yeah. clothes and put pajamas on, which everyone found hysterical, but it kind of kept some sense of normality. Well, after the first stopover, I noticed then about half the girls had been out and bought themselves pajamas after that and suddenly it became you know the norm you know you had it's your pajamas and a quick cleansing <laughs> facial cleanse you know you've got to maintain your standards i think a lot of it depends whether you're on a hot leg or or, or cold and um you know if you're on hot you know talc every day uh if you if it's oh. cold and, and and nasty 
like you know dry suits and you know that, that's a good point because on, on, on the north pacific i think the longest i went without getting out of all my clothes was seven days it was so cold and for me that was unheard of and that was just stripped down to sort of you know your base layer but then everything else because it got so cold you take everything else with you inside your sleeping bag to keep it dry because it was just so cold and the condensation was just dripping down everything just got soaked so we get to the i mean i, I just i feel we might run out of time so just at the start you it was only one of you started in the uk is that right any anyone come see you off in yeah i had lots of uh, people there but i think you know i would I suspect, in fact, I probably know um, everybody here was was at the start, and I yeah. think, <laughs> you know, yeah, I know the good the good thing about you know clipper races, uh, whether you're sailing or you're you know crew uh, seeing people off, you know, the, the, it's it's quite a you know it's quite um every leg is the same uh, whether it's a start or whatever, uh, it's quite an emotive day, it's quite uh -huh. a fun day, and it's quite action packed, and and you feel for your teammates, so so yeah. if you're on a yacht. Um, and you're leaving, then you know you're anxious, you're excited, all of those things. And if you're on the shore waving people off, then you know you're you're excited for them. You're really proud, actually. You feel mm. really, really sort of proud of your team, of your crew, and actually ever so slightly envious. Sure, uh, very exciting. Uh, like I say, the anticipation of starting. And is it once you're off, off the dock through the start line, is it full on racing? Yeah, I, I'm I don't know about others, I and mean, I think Liverpool, where the race started, you know, I don't know if uh, in our year there was there wasn't a huge amount of wind, so um, we, we had to sort of motor the start for a little bit. But then, you know, wind picked up, and and uh, the Clipper Seventies, you know, when, when they get a decent um, wind uh, wind behind them, they they will they will go. I think Liverpool, like any of them, uh, any of the ports, you know, they put on a good show. It's there for the crowd, you know. We're we're sort of giving people something to to watch, mm. cheer to. To, to it's a bit it's a spectacle you know you don't often see as Davina said you know when she was watching those uh, yachts go past South Sea you don't see many uh, large fleets like that leaving at the same time it's quite a spectacle it does look special I mean it's the same if you're leaving from London because the race starts actually down um south southport isn't it south, south end south so again it is it's like it's like Ian was saying it's the spectacle of and there's always a parade of sail which when you've done a few starts, you're like, oh, okay. Once you're away from all of that, you settle into a routine. There may be for some legs and, and teams, it's sooner rather than later. It might take a bit of a while to adapt. A lot of people will know, maybe, or some people know a bit about watch systems, but you have to obviously divide up the workload. What would be a, a typical watch system and how did it work? So we always did um, six hours on, six hours off, and then during the day. And then overnight, it would become four hours on, four hours off, four hours on. So it'd end up reversing you back. Um, so it reversing you. So the next day, if you'd been up in the morning, then you ended up being off in the morning. So and then you just carried on like that. And then during that time, um, there would be a timetable for who would be doing um, sort of mother duty and cooking. So someone from that watch would become the mother duty and step off the watch and be the cook for the day. Um, and then we just carried on like that, really. And how how was food organised? Do you, you want a, ca a calorie controlled diet? Always. So that amount of energy that you all needed. <laughs> <laughs> was it rolls? <laughs> Dave said always. 
would everyone have had a similar experience of food on board? Yeah, it, it, it always seems to be vegetarians that become the Vichlers for whatever reason. I don't know, because I mean, because Davina and I took over the Vichling and I Corps, and actually we had so much fun doing that. It was just trying to come up with a varied diet and, and adapting it for whether you're somewhere hot or somewhere cold. For example, then on, on Seattle, there was always a cake, a bloody cake mix in every dry set every day. And that used to really get up my nose. Lizzie, are you going to make the cake? What cake mix? I had, I, there was so many, every time I hid the cake mixes from my dry bag, because that used to really, because to me, a cake is something that's a real treat. And then you'll bring it out, not an expectation when it's peeled over and it's hot. And that's not a time to make a frigging cake. But when it's cold and wet and miserable, to produce a cake, in my view, is very special so yeah sorry that was my little gripe just kept hiding the cake mixes i, I think i think um you know hats off to to lizzie and davina and all, all the the bitlers because i think it's probably the worst job because oh. everybody's got you know a, you know yeah. likes and dislikes and all the rest mm -hmm. of it and it, it is a really hard job as lizzie saying you know, you've got to plan out menus you've got to find something which is varied you've got to think about calories you've got to think about people's energy um, it is the hardest job. It really yeah. is. And and the, and the length and the shelf life of food, especially if it's fresh food, it, again, that will vary depending where you are. I mean, apples go on forever. Were any of you in conditions where catering had to cease? Always, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We also did, when we did um, Sydney Hobart race, we decided mm -hmm. we weren't going to be spending ages cooking. So we ended up going to the um, bag, sort of pour in the boiling water. They were lush. They were actually really good. <laughs> really nice. So heart. when we did Sydney Hobart, we went to those, and so um, no one was spent or like spent a quarter of the race down down below. So back to the sort of life on board down below, the domestic what? sleeping conditions. Were you people sharing bunks on those? Yeah, boats? hot bunking. That that was fine. For the whole leg, we had the same bunk partner. Yeah, no, I think I think they were quite good at pairing up people. Actually, well, I think girls they were anyway. I never. <laughs> I was so glad I never had to hot bunk with a boy because mm. they were always hairy. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a dude with long hair. <laughs> you know, he's just sort of maybe he was stealing. getting into bed, having to flip the mattress over and pull loads of hair off the mattress, or I got my head down and went to sleep. I think I, I think, think it makes a big difference if you're on the top or bottom bunk as well. Bottom bunk is a breeze, but the top bunk when you're heeled right over and you're trying to get in the sodding thing and it's everything's wet it's like some kind of Cirque du Soleil act but without the sequins <laughs> the, the interesting thing is that there are bunks and then there are bunks and yeah. uh, they've got coffin bunks down below and they're pretty awful because you know that you, you're sort of shoved into it feels like you're in a coffin but there are other bunks which are nice and easy to get into. I, I unfortunately, as Davina said, had uh, a high bunk on, a, on, a, on the port side, on a port tack. And I, let me tell you, you know, it was ridiculous trying to get in. Uh, and actually, it was funny trying to get in, but trying to keep yeah. in was also quite... You had a, but a starboard side bunk and you have lee cloths on those to hold you in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like, you know, you, you hit a wave. There's bunks that get more airflow than others. So on yeah. legs people vie to get bunks where there's a bit more of a breeze running past them while they're sleeping, where there's some that just don't get any air circulation and they get stiflingly hot. And sweat. I felt sorry if I bloke below me because I went to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 it, there's, um, 
it's actually the the bilges obviously like any yacht fill up with water and i i won't name the name but the the lady who i was sharing uh, hot bunking with unfortunately she put some of her clothes bags sealed, uh, but in the bilge and they'd leaked and uh, she brought them out and we went through a we went through a hot bit and boy oh boy uh oh my god that that smelt that was i mean i felt so i felt so sorry for it but oh my god that smelt so they had to go one of the things we have to deal with um most often during the season is the heads oh god you know, yeah. it's a couple of times a month when the course comes back or a charter boat comes back we got the um the coat hanger out <laughs> and we're down any any blockages does that happen yeah uh, every day no. every day, every day. Wow. It, it's you end up having to take the whole whole pack system oh. apart. It's you know, so, so they're they're not waterproof. No, no, absolutely not. So I suppose the, the most exciting part is up on deck. Um, yeah, unless you're trying to cook, but yeah. <laughs> different allocations for jobs there. I know some some teams got rotated around the different tasks, such as helming and so on. Was that the case on your boat, or did you have specialisms that you stuck with? Anyone really wants to? Um, we were really lucky on both our boats. I, well, I thought it was lucky because I didn't want to be that on a boat that, you know, you just did. And we know of some boats that you were assigned to doing port backstay and that was all you did the whole way around the world. So you were like a kind of Formula One racing team, but to me yeah. that would have been very dull. So um, we were lucky that we had two, both our skippers on in each race. Very much kind of if you want to learn um, to helm, then you can. If you want to be up on the bow, then definitely can. So we could do whatever we wanted to, and um, mm. quite like that way of learning. I think when we were at race start, wasn't it, or when we were coming into the end of a race, especially on Seattle, because we were obviously doing so so well, um, it was like we actually all found we we all liked a certain position and you'd find you'd automatically go because you knew you could do it really really well and I think that really helped us whip in on quite a few of those finish lines oh did we come second overall sorry Ian oh yeah we did didn't we oh, where we did, did GB Ian. come sorry where were you Ian Listen, all, all I'm saying is at least GB finished I mean that's all I'm... <laughs> no, I, I think it's a good point Jim because I think you know to Davina's um, point I think a lot of the skippers you know, were, again, it's all part of that kind of, are you a participant or are you, you know, how competitive do you want to be? Because mm. the reality is if you, if you want to be super, super competitive, then, you know, having people in, in the best roles um, and staying in those roles is probably the right thing to do. But you know what, you know, people like to rotate. And I think um, a lot of skippers preferred that rotation mechanism yeah. to keep people interested and, and actually, you know, give them a chance to kind of experience different things. It builds capability as well. Yeah. You, you're all good on one leg if people are really good at things, but with the changeover in between legs, if you get bringing up the skills of everyone on your team, it's probably better. So giving everybody the opportunity to learn as much as they can and be as good as they can is probably quite a positive thing to be doing. I know helming in heavy weather on those boats can be really difficult. You suddenly had a backup helm in the big seas, but also mm. sail changes must have been working between the, the small... You see your smallest storm sails up to your, your biggest light wind spinnakers. What, what do you find the hard, one of the hardest things you had to do just in terms of deck work? Uh, I think it's when, it's when you're heeled over, there's an absolute hoolie blowing, there's rain, and if it's cold and you're in your dry suit and it, you're trying to get everything hanked on, 
Um, and it just takes time. I mean, I actually saying that I preferred changing the heavy duty cells as opposed to the spinnaker, the lightweight ones, because the packing up and rejigging of those damn cells was a yeah. Oh, and I just didn't like yeah, yeah. willing willing a kite below oh. deck when yeah it's boiling hot. Oh, was um. Well, you just rewalled it. And it's like, bring it up again. Oh. <laughs> that means the other one's coming down and you've got to do it to that yeah. one. <laughs> I think, uh, I, I, you know, I, like sales and, and, and that, you know, we kind of, that's a lot of the training. So I think people kind of yeah. kind of know that it becomes second. I think one of the, one of the, I know certainly in our, our yacht, and I think Dave had something similar, you know, all, like all yachts, things go wrong all the time. Mm. And there are some holes and so lots of water get it gets in and so you know we we would spend um you know a lot of time fixing pumping water out you know doing all the, the usual things that you've got to do with a, a yacht just to keep it going and i you know sometimes not not because of the, it's strenuous or or heavy weather or anything like that but it, it just kind of if you didn't have to do that then you maybe weren't being as competitive as mm. as um as you could have been and that would make the difference between getting second or, or third or first the, 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 boat, the, the boats are labor intensive mm. aren't they yeah nearly, nearly everything is is manual on them nearly everything can be taken apart and put put back together everything needs work all of the time mm. and, and, and they're designed like that to keep everybody busy in terms of like tasks, does, does that lead to any conflict with crew? Can do. Well, some people don't do as much as others. Yeah. <laughs> no appearing about it. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot that will give instructions. Right. Comes down uh, to that point again, though, isn't it? Are you a competitor or, or participant? I mean, you know, on GB we were lucky because we had we were sailing with GB Olympians, um, and they are super competitive people. So you know, certainly on the legs where they were present, boy or boy, did did was GB competitive, but maybe that's not for everyone. I think yeah. as well, it, it's interesting because I think it, I think the two experiences I had from both races and Davina could probably sort of agree with me as well, that ICOR, I think because we weren't, we were never in the top half of the race. I don't think we were even really in the top two thirds, were we really? But we had such a laugh on that boat. Um, I mean, we did jobs. I think probably our skipper would have liked us to maybe be a little bit more competitive, but we just had so much fun and it was really good fun. Um, we had really good fun on Seattle, but that was a whole different headspace we were in. That was a real right. We can actually, God, we've done quite well. Well, actually we quite like being on a podium. And I think, you know, I think talk, since talking to several of the round the worlders on Seattle, they felt that actually when, I'm not saying it was Davina and I, but obviously we added to it, but they did feel that actually we really upped the ante for really pulling the crew together because we were fresh, we were cheerful. The round the worlders, they were tired. They'd done three, they'd just crossed, you know, Mm. Um, from South Africa over to Australia, they were tired and suddenly we're like, come on then. And I think we just gave that extra bit of spark. So yeah. we, actually it was really good fun. Well, I think it was what, because we had had such fun on Eiffel Cole. Yeah. Seattle was a very serious boat. It was all very competitive and very serious. And then we turn up and sort of bought a bit of that sort of fun element and having a bit of a laugh element along. And I don't think any of them realized that that 
could be incorporated into it. And so yeah. I think it would have um, changed the dynamic on the boat a bit. Because that a, must be a very difficult thing to manage, both for each crew member, but certainly the skipper. So everyone's got a different motivation and, and wanted to get something different out of the race. And can you satisfy Yeah, all and I think our, our second skipper was... Um, 23 year old female who she's amazing and I think she was very like sort of focused and had to prove herself and I think to have some women who came along and just sort of made it a bit more relaxed I think sort of helped and Lizzie would make her do a face mask every now and again and yeah just, just tell her she'd thank you when she was older brought a different dynamic to the boat doing the two races was a really good experience yeah could I ask you a couple of like, moments on on the trips that some of you may have experienced some of you didn't um scariest dealing with fear or dealing with a crew member that was scared there's some scary moments that stand out whether it was particularly the southern oceans that people talk about but the north pacific stands out as a quite a yeah no dangerous not I think leg. I I'd say for myself I think there were times on the north pacific because I suppose my knowledge of sailing, I'm not saying it's hugely extensive now, but it's not as much as it is now. But I mean, just some nights, just, just oh, the noise, you'd be lying in your bunk and you'd be thinking, okay, I'm actually below the water level here. And you know, and you'd be going along and, you'd be, and there'd be these great clangings and rackets and, you know, and then on Seattle, it was a different sort of thing because you'd be, you'd suddenly hear, bang! <laughs> And you'd be like, and then twang. And, but it wasn't fear. It's more of a like a, oh my God, okay. Try and get some sleep. Don't think about it. Go to my happy place. Yeah. Little events uh, crossing the equator. Uh, a, few, a couple of you crossed the equator. Is there a ceremony that goes with that? There is. I guess that's different. On it. Did you get tarred with feathers? Uh, not quite tarred with feathers, but something along those, um, along those lines, yeah. It's an ancient ceremony and Clipper does it. So each boat does it slightly differently as well. What happened to you? Uh, me? Yeah. Like we, we got slopped with slop. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where the slop yeah, exactly. But no, each boat does it slightly differently. So some, some skippers are slightly more lenient and others just like to see uh, people covered in slop. Yeah. It's only for those who cross it for the first time. Is that That's right. right. Yeah. yeah. And the dateline did that? feature as a ceremony no it happened twice because charlie charlie had his birthday twice didn't he uh, oh that was when i was going on the north pacific i forgot that so i keep thinking you were there yeah no there was one lad he turned 21 so he basically cooked him a cake for two days because it happened twice <laughs> um, so as you get close to land what what are you looking forward to the most and i understand that sometimes you could, I, I know this from drink just very much short just the booze very much shorter <laughs> trips that i've done that you can sometimes smell the land before you see it? No, you'd be looking for phone signal. Phone signal. <laughs> I mean, the, th the thing is, I, for, for like, so, some legs are quite short, right? So, you know, if, um, I know leg two is, you know, um, a couple of weeks, and uh, but some, like, I think Dave's is was a, a really long one. Mine was a really long one. And, and you know, uh, but then if you're crossing the Pacific, um, you know, it, it will feel like forever. So uh, getting off for me, first of all, it was amazing seeing land and buildings and lights. And that was that was nice after seeing nothing. But, you know, you, you just have to you want food um, that doesn't come out of a packet and you want a beer. And that's it. I still to this day appreciate a glass of water with ice and condensation going down the side because I remember being so hot and all you had was the water maker. The water was warm. No ice maker. <laughs> 
Uh, no ice maker, sadly. No, and and Davina did drown in her own sweat on several <laughs> occasions. That was all you could hear. It's like, oh, God, I'm drowning. <laughs> it was so hot. All I wanted was a glass of water with ice with condensation running down the side. And I would dream about it. And to this day, I appreciate having you. It makes you appreciate the simple things in life, like a shower and being able to brush your hair without it being like some kind of bird's nest in the back. So you will get, when you get there, you'll get accommodation ashore. So you've got to have arranged it, obviously. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Because you're still in that bunk. I mean, quite a few times you end up partying quite hard on the first night and you aren't quite with it enough to make it back anywhere. So you end up back on the boat anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, most of the time you end up going somewhere. And the watch system kind of ceases once land is sighted. Everyone wants to be up on on deck I guess and yeah I mean we had some amazing experience that like when we were coming into early beach we um we were winning which was very nice and we had great weather we had music blasting um we were in the Whit Sundays it was a beautiful weather it was just the most phenomenal day amazing. yeah and then you get off and it was just party 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 it was amazing finish within sight of other boats is that quite rare what what within sights or within as you come to the finish line uh, other other clipper boats within sight ever? Oh, yeah, yeah Some... apart from Greenings, uh, <laughs> who are usually like at least a week behind the rest of the fleet. Yeah, no, it's, it's surprising how 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 close the, the yachts are. There was a photo finish on one race. That's astonishing. And that, and that makes it even more fun. It, you know, it just makes it, oh my God, quick now, tack, tack, tack. You know, it's so much fun. The adrenaline's just going. We, we were dodging the um, Manly Ferry coming into Sydney Harbour. Yeah. Um, dressed, we were dressed as elves for that one, weren't elves, we? Elves, it was Christmas, so yeah. we were all dressed as elves, and our skipper was dressed as Father Christmas, and we were dodging the Manly Ferry as we came into Sydney Harbour. So you, you've crossed the finishing line, you party hard, and then is it the next day you have uh, podium finishes for that particular leg? No, deep clean. Deep clean? Deep clean. You know, you know, normally the fleet has to wait for greenings to come in, and then they can do the podiums, and so what usually happens is... So the fleet comes in, you know, you, you know, you get the winners, you know, Seattle or Sanya in our year, um, they, they were by far the, the most competitive yachts. The fleet would come in usually within sort of like, I don't know, three days maybe of each other. Right. Greenings would bundle up about a week later. Unless they were um, parked. Yeah, yeah. And then and then once greenings came in, then we were allowed to do the podiums. <laughs> and what, what was quite bizarre is what would happen is all of a sudden there'd be some, I mean, the race, like all races, right, there's always a redress, you know, there's this sort of penalties given. And then basically once all that's kind of weighed up, um, you know, people get their podium places and, and, you know, th that's where the, that's where the really unusual things would start to uh, start to occur. What's, what's with the Greenings thing then? They're a very competitive boat. Uh, you'd need to ask the Greenings team, but there are, there, you know, some, some boats are more equal than others, maybe. <laughs> Any comments? <laughs> it's interesting. The Greenings the Greening skipper, Dave, was actually, he was on leg six with me on Icor Cole as crew. And that's how I ended up going on to Greenings. Because I said, right, Dave, if you get a, if you skipper a boat and they're doing the Sydney to Hobart Yacht Race, I'll come and request your boat. So that's how, how I ended up going back for the second race. Right. But waved them off in Liverpool. And yeah, and then they had the first drama, didn't they? Just off um, Portugal, where Dave actually lost, his thumb was virtually severed off. So he had to be airlifted and have it sewn back on and now has full use of his thumb again thankfully and yeah somehow they did really well even though they sort of uh 
you know this is Ian's gripe because actually you know GB were obviously doing so well but yeah Green still managed to come on to a podium finish and they came in at the end and then oh no basically and then they got to South Africa and it was all going fine it was when the Greenings left South Africa and I think it wasn't just the Greenings boat but I think there were a few other boats but unfortunately yeah that's when it all kind of um went a bit pear-shaped and so Greenings ended up being grounded in the middle of a national park and had to be dismantled so Greenings was no more but will forever haunt Ian doesn't haunt me because <laughs> he was robbed of his podium what were your podium songs do you have these um these battle tunes are they called? Oh yeah. Think me out, Amarillo. Oh, that was Liverpool, wasn't it? Yeah, Amarillo. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's what what was, was the Greenings one to start? Was that rocking all over the world? Think so. Yeah. Or land on a rock, round halfway around the world, or something. I don't know. I could call. We had the Baywatch theme tune. Yeah. Well, we changed it, didn't we? Mm -hmm. It was started off. What was it? It was was it an ACDC one or something ridiculous? Yeah. You can't dance to, and then we changed it to I Call Cole, which was just brilliant, and to Billy Watch, which was brilliant. And what was the Seattle one? I still can't remember the name of the Seattle one. Ian, what was yours? Do you remember GB's? Yeah, we we um we we started off with one particular song, but we changed it uh, in memory of um of uh, someone close to us uh, towards the end. So we we ended up with um, uh, Chariots of Fire. Uh, which was a, a, a tune which uh, gave us all a good memory of one of our crewmates. I don't, I don't know if anyone wanted to talk about that here. I mean, I'm not. I think it had a massive had a massive part to play in our <laughs> journey, really. Sure. And, and, I, and I, th I do think it's quite important to acknowledge what happened because I think it's changed and improved even further the way that the Clipper race actually happens now it's improved safety you know I mean there was safety there before but I think I think the, the key thing was was is that a lot of people don't realize just how dangerous it is going in to do this they think they're going on a, like a little jolly jaunt and I think people forget it is a dangerous it is a dangerous sport it shouldn't be taken lightly and I mean because I call Carl we lost two crew members you know and then obviously in you know GB they lost one and still remember them still think back on the knew them I knew them both I knew both of the I call Carl ones I didn't know um GB and I know it had a huge impact on the crew and I think the way we interact with each other I think definitely um I don't look back and think oh my god that it was traumatic at the time but I don't look back now it doesn't haunt me put it that way and it must have taken quite a while. I'm not sure when it happened in it in in the leg, but quite a while for the crew to to deal with that and sort that out between them. I yeah. think I I because I arrived in Seattle and didn't really know anybody, and I was obviously very nervous because I was arriving to this kind of trip of a lifetime, and actually I was about to get on a boat with a group of people who'd just been through one of the most horrendous things you know known to man, and it was yeah. sort of interesting trying to kind of they had very much formed a kind of a, a this sort of bond yeah. and sort of trying to get into and sort of get within that bond um was a sort of I, had, I think I had to sort of tread very carefully and um we had a new skipper at that point in time and he definitely had to sort of be very mindful of all these people um who were continuing on the race despite mm. what they'd been through and so um and it definitely affected different people in different ways. Yeah. Um, I think as well, what was, I think, I mean, because Andy, when he passed away, that was on leg one, sort of just off um, Portugal again. Um, so when Dave's accident happened, 
on greenings, I was just like, oh God, it's all happening again. And that was quite a panicky um, feeling. But, and then in the Pacific, I mean, you know, I'll, I will remember that. I won't, that's never going to go away, but I think get, um, getting to Seattle and I think all, all the leggers got off except for me. I was the only one that was staying on with the round, the world crew. And actually we hadn't been a big crew crossing the North Pacific. It, it wasn't a very popular leg to sign up to. Um, it's become more popular since. Um, so read into that as you will. But um, actually, so actually having fresh faces and we had some crew come over from, from a couple of other boats that wanted time away from the boats they were on. So actually it was, it was lovely having new fresh people that could add to that dynamic. And I think that's why then, you know, it was, it was a very, it, it was difficult, very, but even though we remembered what had happened. Thanks for that. Perspective on that for me, it's the best thing and the worst thing I've ever done. Right. And would you do it again? Genuinely. A hundred percent in a heartbeat. Like I said, it's the best thing and the worst thing I've ever done. <laughs> and the worst in, in kind of in the hardest thing you've had to, it's, the, it's tough, isn't it? Yeah. It's funny. I, I've loved it. I'm glad I've done the two different races. But for me, now I know that you don't have to lug bloody sails up from below. I'm like, fuck off. I'm doing a race where I can press a button. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm not lugging sails around again. Oh, what? Now we're on other boats. Yeah. Yeah. No, now I know what real sailing boats are all about. Right. It's not tonic. back in the times of Bly. Oh, no. I've got my eye on the Caribbean 600. Exactly. I mean, for me, my biggest problem was my seasickness, without a doubt. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I did not stop throwing up sadly and um none of the remedies I think uh, I mean I'm an anaesthetist so my job is to stop people being sick and I could not stop myself from being sick I tried everything I was covered in patches you name it I mean Lizzie would sort me out and cover me in patches and it'd be a bath for England (laughs) (laughs) I would have a dignified bather no I would be on a winch, grinding, grinding, and then uh, suddenly like launching myself down the low side to throw, I mean, it was horrendous and it would go on for four days at a time. So it has really, I wouldn't be going back purely for that reason. I'm happy to poodle around the med and the Solent, but anything, no more ocean crossings for me, thanks. Yeah, how about you, Dave? Are you up for another go? Yeah, I guess so. I'm, I, I think, subsequent to Clipper I've gone on and done quite a lot of sailing that I've really enjoyed you know we've done come back done little bits chartering with friends then done day skippers done a bit more chartering with friends um, throw in a few um, rock races coastal skipper um, and and I really enjoy it And and I think I would really enjoy to do more of it but I do remember coming back saying, I don't want to do that again. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to balance off how much I enjoy what I do now with would I enjoy that more? But I think I would. I think if the opportunity came along again, sure. It's just fitting that in with everyday real life. <laughs> As it is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think actually Dave's, Dave's point there, you know, it's like, there is a legacy to it and the four of us on this call you know a, a part of that we've made some you know great friends and um we four with other friends do a lot of sailing together of different mm. types and you know th- th- that 
we would never have met each other, possibly, if, um, I mean, Davina and Lizzie are inseparable um, most of the time. So, I, you know, I think- It's distancing now, it's all yeah. very well. Yeah. I think there's a legacy here with some great friendships. And the reality is like people outside of our friendship circle who've never done Clipper, you know, they can't, they don't know. They can't they comprehend it. Right? So we do, as well as enjoying the race, I also have enjoyed the mm. legacy of it as well. Mm. They call it the race of your life, but I think of it as the race that changes your life because yeah, it has a massive knock-on effect. Yeah, right. yeah. And, you, and you can be as much of a part of it. I mean, I know some people that took part, they were on a leg and they've just oof, disappeared back into their everyday lives. Whereas there's others like us that are just, we just keep going, any excuse, another meetup, another party, another drink, sorted. No, I certainly get a sense that it's, it's made a big impression on you and what an experience you all had. That's been very interesting. And um, hopefully we'll see you out on the water soon. God, I forgot Same what I was about. Is there anything that you wanted to add that I can put in or drop in or ask you? One or two word <laughs> answers. Would any of the round the worlders on the race have wanted to do less? Yeah, there were some that were tired. Yeah. Did anyone, does anyone compete or participate as a couple? You do get couples, but they put them on separate boats. And I suppose, I suppose some couples get formed. Is that the right word? Couple, I can't really know, know what you're talking about. Wouldn't know what you're talking about. Oh, we talked about clothing and washing, I think, didn't we? Some of the legs are really long. How, how do you wash when there's a water ration? You don't. You, no. just, you just sniff what smells the least. I mean, it's a very bizarre world when you feel like you have to announce to everyone that you've changed your pants that day. And like it's a good day because you've managed to change your pants. I mean, when it's the same can be said about world. everyday life, though, Davina. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the sad thing is, though, is that when you make that announcement, everyone's thrilled for you. I mean, it's perfectly normal. <laughs> well, well done. You've cleaned your teeth today. That's a miracle. <laughs> Anybody, to, be fair, yeah. to, be fair, to be fair, that's the Anybody one thing. involved in the navigation? Sorry. No, I was going to say, that's the one thing I would definitely do every day is brush my teeth. Come what may, I could not get on deck unless I'd brush my actual, brush my teeth. So it was like one thing, like you stink and the whole boat stinks with you. But I think most people would probably brush yeah. their teeth. Your toothbrush. Uh, any of you involved in the navigation or the weather routing? Or was that <laughs> only left to skippers? Yeah. Not no, the crew members um, did all of that. It's just uh, some some were maybe um, more conscientious than others. I don't know. And I think as I think as well, I think it depends on where you were in your sailing journey as to whether you're actually aware that navigation happened. <laughs> uh, did you encounter much wildlife? God, yeah. yeah. North Pacific, one bird. <laughs> what was it? Dolphins, we had, we had, whales broaching, yeah, incredible, an awful lot of it. Um, what was it? Phosphoglows. Yeah, phosphorescence. Mm. Yeah, phosphorescence. Awful lot. It's absolutely magic. I think. I think the, the my my abiding memory of wildlife, and we had quite a bit, but actually watching, I was actually on a on watch at about three o'clock in the morning, and I saw what I thought. I mean, genuinely, uh, what I thought was a torpedo 
being fired at us. And it was basically a bunch of dolphins going through the phosphorescence and, and, and being yeah. illuminated. It was the most amazing sight ever. But Dave, you know, you, you as well as wildlife, you saw the, um, the fishing fleets. Yeah. Yeah. Or oh, coming up towards Qingdao. Yeah, I, I think it's good for a Chinese fishing boat to pass the bow of a sailing boat, which means as you're sailing along, they all make a beeline for the boat. I think that's I think that's all we had in the subsidiary questions. The night sky, I guess it's funny. Best sky viewing out of this world. Yeah, it's very clear. And the no sunrises doubt. and sunsets were phenomenal. Yeah. Things like that you do really appreciate and you just kind of go, wow, actually, this is why I do, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And actually having this conversation now, it's made me think, my God, I've kind of forgotten the wonder of things like that. Going up around Scotland was amazing. All the oil rigs at night were just phenomenal. And coming down the Thames was great. I mm. liked that. <laughs> Waving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, going under Tower Bridge is pretty special. Yeah. There's a lot of history there. Mm. Thanks ever so much. Yeah, gone on crazy. Yeah, sound, yeah, thank we'll you. Bit, we'll put a bit, try and put a bit of your music in if we can. And then I'll oh post a link yeah. yeah. Well, if you go on YouTube, I Call Cole have got a video. We made a video. Yeah, it's called I Call Watch. I Call Watch. Yeah. So oh, Campbellton Lock, I wish you were a whiskey. Campbellton Lock, oh, hi. Campbellton Loch, I wish you were whiskey, I would drink it dry. Now Campbellton Loch is a beautiful place, but the price of the whiskey is grim. How nice it would be if the whiskey was free and the loch was full up to the brim. Oh, Campbellton Loch, I wish you were whiskey, Campbellton Loch, oh hi. Oh, Campbellton Loch, I wish you were whiskey, I would drink it dry. I'd buy a yacht with the money I've got and I'd anchor it out in the bay. If I wanted a nip, I'd go in for a dip, I'd be swimming by night and by day. Oh!